Hey, welcome to Let's Talk Movies. I'm your host, Zachary Markley. It's great to have you here again this week. Uh, I've been busy working all week on my movie library, organizing and cataloging every section by section. I still have a ways to go. Still have a few movies, you know, quite a few movies to digitally back up in case any of the discs fail, but fingers crossed I'll get through everything by the end of the year. I won't bore you with that tonight. More importantly, I did have some time to watch a few fun flicks this week. Again, since it is spooky season, all the movies are at least a little bit in the thriller, horror, suspense kind of vein. Because I know you don't have very long today, I thought I'd just pick three or four and briefly break them down, give my opinion, and, you know, maybe see if it's something you'd like to watch. Sound good? Okay, let's get started. At Halloween time, it's easy to get caught up in watching all of the more adult scarefests on television, or now, on everybody's streaming services. If you're not ready for the Great Pumpkin, or, you know, any other fall Charlie Brown things, or Nightmare Before Christmas, you might be wondering, what's left for my family to watch? Of course, there's the new Scoob, and the new Adams Family animated films, but I decided to go back a little further. First off, I watched the Universal Monsters classic from 1931, Frankenstein. This one is just a timeless masterpiece from director James Whale. Do you hear that? Hey, anybody? No, nobody heard that? Okay. Every time I watch it, I can't get enough of the production design or the lighting. Just like Dracula that came before it, Whale's Frankenstein features a really eerie castle, a crazy over-the-top sidekick, this time it's Igor instead of Renfield, and one great monster. I mean, these are the classic iconic monsters that everybody sees every year at Halloween. I mean, when you think Frankenstein, you think this Frankenstein. When you think Dracula, you think the Universal Dracula. These are just iconic movies. Now, if if uh, if you don't know the story of Frankenstein, it's pretty straightforward. There's a scientist who's obsessed with creating literal life after death, and he successfully reassembles and reanimates a creature made of several human corpses. This is Frankenstein's monster. A common mistake is thinking that the monster is called Frankenstein, but that's actually referring to the scientist, Dr. Victor Frankenstein in the book and later movies, but in James Whale's original film, it's Dr. Henry Frankenstein. I, I feel like I feel like I'm picking up some kind of feedback or some some kind of some kind of ooh. Anybody else here? Anybody else hear that? Oh, nobody, nobody else hears a noise like that. Okay, just, just me. I'm not going to go into too much detail with this one. Um, it, it's just a classic. You need to check it out. Every fan of the genre has probably seen this one, and if they haven't, they need to. At least that's my opinion. It's tragic, horrifying, suspenseful, and it's just overall, it's just really beautiful to watch. Oh, and Boris Karloff making his monster movie debut here, or at least his first significant monster. Really does a great job of humanizing Frankenstein's monster. Makes you really feel bad for him throughout the whole thing. I mean, it's not his fault. He didn't reanimate himself. Dang, Victor. Creep. You know, and Victor gets the girl at the end. All the monster wanted to do was just hang out. He wanted to do the monster mash. What's the problem here? Just doesn't. I just... Mm, I have opinions. Anyway, my wife and I followed this movie up with a Tim Burton film, 2012's Frankenweenie. <laughs> Weenie. This film borrows the, the sort of spinal cord of the original Frankenstein plot, but sets it in a world of a 
you know, elementary middle school boy whose beloved pet suddenly dies. He's then inspired by his science teacher's lecture on electricity, and Victor, in this case, not Henry like in the old film, but Victor like in the book, uh, sets out to bring poor Sparky back to life. I actually recently bought this movie, as I've never seen it before. For some reason or another, I never got around to watching it when it came out. I found it on sale, I picked it up, I really enjoyed it. There are so many references to the classic movie monsters in this, it's pretty crazy. I mean, there's everything from the obvious Frankenstein, the mummy, the invisible man, or invisible fish in this case, to more obscure references like Gamera and Rodan from Japan. Pretty cool. I really enjoy Claymation. Uh, when I first started making films as a kid, they didn't look that different from the little ones that uh, Victor makes in this movie. Action figures, cardboard sets, that kind of stuff, stop motion, you know. So Claymation, of course, is, is a huge step up from playing with toys and animating them. But it's, I mean, the same basic principle is there. Stop motion is a laborious task. And nobody, in my opinion, has ever done it better and probably never will do it better than my dude Ray Harryhausen. But more on him in a future episode. Actually, Tim Burton started out making stuff like this, too. One of his first notable short films is called Vincent, which follows a young boy made of clay, because it's claymation. A young boy who dreams of being just like horror icon Vincent Price. This, of course, leads to him falling into all things macabre and really annoying his poor mother. A fun fact about that short film, the short is actually narrated by Vincent Price. It's pretty cool. That's a terrible Vincent Price impression. <laughs> Do not call the impression police. Vincent Price is awesome. I love Vincent Price. Anyway, back to Frankenweiner. Frank Weenie. Frankenweenie. Weenie. If you're wondering why it's called that, and it's because the dog was most definitely a wiener dog of some sort, dachshund or you know, something like that. So again, this one is very similar to the original James Whale Frankenstein in a lot of ways, but honestly the stakes are a lot higher through much of the film, in my opinion, even though it's set in a kid's world. I mean, we've got monsters running around everywhere, all kinds of mayhem. Victor's competing with his classmates for this science competition, even though his experiment to get his dog back was not really part of that. But the other kids don't really know that. It's complicated. Watch the movie. I'll note that this film is in black and white, but as I mentioned last week, I think black and white sometimes is makes movies better. And in this case, I think it's even more beautiful in black and white than it could have been in color. But I mean... I think the black and white obviously is a nod to those old black and white films. So it probably would have been fine in color too. It just adds to the aesthetic, in my opinion. Okay, this film stars Charlie Tehan, 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 however you say his name, as Victor, Martin Short, and Catherine O'Hara as his parents, Winona Ryder as the girl next door, Martin Short again as Winona Ryder's character's uncle, who's the mayor, and finally, the legendary, the magnificent, the wonderful Martin Landau as the science teacher, Mr. Ruskruski. <laughs> They're in Holland. I don't, I don't know. Well, I do think Frank and Weenie is a lot of fun, and I'll definitely sit through it again. I thought the ending fell a little flat for me. It's a kid's movie. Stop. Maybe you won't think it's, you know, not a good ending, but it just didn't satisfy some of the other tertiary moments for me. Will your kids care? Absolutely not. Sparky the dog is so charming, even you will think he's alive. He's alive. He's alive! Both of these films also feature a giant windmill. I guess that's a thing in Holland, in New Holland. They were pretty progressive with their alternative energies back in the day, or something. Pretty cool. 
Aesthetically and production design-wise, narratively speaking, the windmills play a huge role, and it totally makes sense for them to be there. I really recommend both Frankenstein and Frankenweenie, even if Frankenweenie isn't a perfect film for me. The artistry going into making these claymation films really is enough for me to overlook any faults in the, in the picture. Uh, the fact that a team created and animated all the characters by hand is always astounding to me, and I really, I really respect that process. Okay, sit back, grab some popcorn, because when I come back, I'll go over one more film, and this one is packing some serious heat, and has facts on all cylinders. Maybe I'll leave my puns at home next week. We will see. Tonight's fact-packed movie is brought to you by... No one. Because I don't have sponsors yet. But you can help change that. The more you listen to my show, the more willing my distributors will be to partner me with some awesome people to promote some awesome services. In the meantime, please spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your neighbors while you wait at the voting polls. Tell your houseplants. They like to listen to things, too. I can be very soothing with my voice for your plants. I don't know, there's something in the vibrations. Okay, it's science. Uh, please also subscribe to the show and leave a review if you have a second. Every little bit helps. And every opinion counts. I want to continue to tell you about great movies, and you want me to be able to afford the next DVD so I can talk about it. Of course, once movies start coming out again, that is. So take a couple seconds, and as always, thank you for listening to Let's Talk Movies. If you remember last week, I talked a bit about John Carpenter's They Live. Well, I figured I might as well continue through his movies, at least for a little while. So this week, I watched Christine. From 1983, this Stephen King adaptation follows Arnie, a bullied, nerdy high school kid whose life is thrown in the fast lane when he buys Christine, a rusting 1958 Plymouth Fury, who is actually a self-healing, free-wheeling monster gives an all-new meaning to hell on wheels. Okay, first off, I absolutely love this movie. As a casual King reader, I do recognize that this doesn't quite match up to the original written story, but honestly, I prefer this version. While in Stephen King's original story, um, there's a spirit of the previous owner of the car riding around in the back of the car, influencing poor Arnie as he's driving around. Now, John Carpenter opted to remove that, or the screenwriter all of them collectively, opted to remove that element from the story, and they gave Christine all the power. John Carpenter is, after all, a creator of empowered female characters. Another notable scene not in the original text is the iconic opening where Christine is being born at the factory in 1958. This really shows that she was just born bad and is truly bad to the bone. Okay, a big takeaway for me was Arnie's transformation from nerdy teen to James Dean bad boy. It's really impressive what Keith Gordon's able to do in this just stellar performance. 
Uh, he's joined by John Stockwell, who plays Arnie's best friend and football star, Dennis. Alexandra Paul plays Arnie's love interest, Lee. Robert Prosky is the owner of the local garage, which is where Arnie rebuilds Christine, and then that serves as her lair. And uh, the late, great Harry Dean Stanton makes an appearance as a detective who starts sniffing around after Arnie's bullies start having some accidents. That's all I'm going to tell you about the plot. If you're afraid it'll be cheesy because it's a car riding around and things are happening, I promise it's not cheesy at all. The effects are really great and were completed with hydraulics and reverse playback on the film uh, for the scenes where Christine regenerates herself. It's really cool. Now, of course, the biggest star of this film, if you can't tell already, is Christine. There were at least 17 Plymouth Fury cars purchased for this movie, although some sources I looked at said as many as 28 cars at least for parts. Uh, so I'm going to go with 17, 17 to 20 cars were purchased for this movie. 15 of them were destroyed during filming. So you know there's some serious metal carnage in there. Of the two cars that survived filming, uh, one was sold back in 2004 for a total of $160,000, and the second sold in 2015 at the Barrett-Jackson Auto Auction for a whopping $198,000. I think this car is valued at like $40,000 or something. So, I mean, this film has a huge following. It's also said that John Carpenter and team put out ads in the newspapers all over the country to find the same make and model and parts for this 58 Plymouth Fury so it would all match up. It's pretty cool stuff. Of course, a few minor things were changed to the cars, including uh, some Ford engines that were purchased, I think, too. Um, Stephen King wanted to pick a car for his book, that wasn't super popular or legendary like a Ford Mustang or a Chevelle or something, you know. But also this is older, so he wouldn't go for a Chevy Bel Air or, you know, whatever, a Mercury or anything. So he went with something that was a little less popular but still screamed 1950s Americana. Okay, the gas station scene? That was not a real gas station, but that's one that the production had built for the sole purpose of that scene. And it fooled me when I was a kid. I thought they really blew up a gas station. Spoiler alert, but it's still worth watching. And that scene really packs a punch. Christine's license plate reads CQB and then some numbers after it. Well, apparently the CQB stands for Close Quarter Battle. Because she's a mean machine. Oh, also keep your eye open later in the film when she does battle with a very human-powered bulldozer. Christine's nose you know, the nose of the car, it turns into a mouth kind of thing. It opens up and it looks like it has jagged metal teeth. This gives Jaws from the James Bond movies and Linda Blair from The Exorcist a run for their money for best movie teeth of all time. Am I right? Yeah. There is one scene I will spoil for you. It has to do with the gas station that we talked about. Since I already spoiled it, I may as well tell you a little bit more. Christine is on literal fire, okay? I mean, this Girl is on fire. This scene was accomplished by covering the car in rubber cement to protect the stunt driver, the very talented stunt driver, I might add, as he, you know, had Christine continue her rampage. So, all the practical driving, all while in a fireball of a car, all of that was all practical, no visual effects because they were not widely used. I think they had briefly been used already. Thank you, Michael Crichton in Westworld. We'll get to that later. Um, but yeah. All practical effects, all the fireballs are there. They're all real. Take that, Dark Phoenix. My final couple factoids are pretty interesting. Kevin Bacon was originally cast as Arnie, but he couldn't make it work, so John Carpenter and crew 
went with a relatively unknown actor. They thought it might add something to the movie. I think it paid off. As you'll see with the budget, budget was $10 million, and the film grossed around $21 million, which, you know, the rule is you kind of want to make double what the budget is. So that's pretty cool. Now, this is also important because John Carpenter's previous film was The Thing. Classic. Everyone loves it now, but at the time, it bombed. Everyone hated it. It made no money. It was a disaster. So he actually lost another job that he had lined up for after The Thing, and that was another Stephen King adaptation. It was, it was made without him, and that is Firestarter, which we did end up getting with a very young Drew Barrymore. Anyway, John Carpenter really thought his career might be over completely, so he just took the first job he could get, and Christine landed in his lap, and it was great. Worked out fine for everyone. Again, I absolutely love this film. It's very rewatchable. It's funny. It's exciting. It's a little sensual if you're into that, and it's even nerve-wracking and scary in parts. Um... Lots of thrills, lots of suspense. It's not really a horror comedy like The Evil Dead 2 or even a modern contemporary kind of nod to this, like Rubber, The Killer Tire. It's not It's not like those so much. It's, it's more straight-up thriller with a dash of humor, sci-fi fantasy, and horror. I love this one so much. Watch it every year. And you should too. Well, I guess I don't have time to tell you about the new Netflix show, The Haunting of Bly Manor, today, the original Henry James story, or the best film adaptation of that work, The Innocence. I'll save those for next week or something, I guess, but that's okay. I will give a couple quick tips if you're feeling adventurous and want to make your own short film for Halloween. Like I may or may not be doing, we will see. First things first. Use what you have. Listen, we don't all have access to the Warner Brothers backlot. Nor do we have a budget to call up, you know, your local rental house and sign out some RA Sky panels or a Red Dragon camera <laughs> or anything like that just to make a film. Especially with the pandemic right now, it's important to be safe and economic. That's why I'm using what I have available to me. Now, to be completely transparent, I do have a small collection of some, you know, filming and lighting and sound equipment. But let's say that I didn't. What do I have? Well, I have a smartphone that has an okay camera. It says it shoots in 4K, so that's pretty cool. I mean, Steven Soderbergh keeps making movies with his, with his iPhone, so why can't I? I have a couple of lamps sitting around, which can be used as good practical lights. Also, don't underestimate the power of the sun. Shower curtains, regular curtains, all that stuff can be used to diffuse the light. Um, if, if you have some colorful shower curtains with some solid colors in there... You can change some things up. You can, you know, use little color things in front of the lens. You can shine a flashlight into a white piece of paper if it's close to your subject. Whatever. Lots of creative things out there you can do with just household items. Changing color temperatures with your white balance, with household items, you name it. Sound can be a little tricky. It's the glue that holds your film together. But I do have my mic that I podcast with, and you can get these just about anywhere, about $100 for a decent one. That could be good. So now, it's all up to you. You have the tools to make something. Go write something down, whether it's on a computer or paper and tablet. If you have a hard time writing, just talk. Record it on your phone, record it on your computer. If you have a voice recorder like me, because you're a nerd, record it into that. Anything just to get your idea out there. It doesn't have to be... Oscar-winning thing. It doesn't have to be life-changing. just has to be out. <laughs> Get it out. Then you can fix it. That's the key. 
somebody had asked Hitchcock what the three most important things were for a movie, and he said the script, the script, the script. So as long as you have a story and something written out that you can refer to and, and, and adapt, you're going to be fine. Now, don't limit your creativity at all, no. But also make sure it's manageable and something you can do on the quick. You know, if you have, if you're living alone, then it's going to be a little tougher. But if you have roommates or friends or family, then go out and, you know, rope them into things. It's okay. That's how, that's how everybody starts. Try picking something odd that you have around the house. Uh, if you're like me, you have a five foot tall skeleton or a green man bodysuit. But if you're not weird like me, then maybe you can use a, a paperweight or just something random. One of the greatest films of all time opens with a snow globe and has all of its emotional weight centered around a sled. You can do anything. Don't overthink the edit. There are lots of free programs out there to help you. Or you could do it right on your phone now. There's lots of free apps out there too, or ones that you could pay you know, a couple dollars for. I did end up buying the Filmic Pro app, but um, you don't have to do that. There's lots of free ones. Really? There's just no excuse anymore not to make a movie. So that's why I'm picking up cameras. And, you know, you guys should too. Trust me, if I can do this, you can do this. Okay, that's all the time I have. Thanks again for joining me and listening to my commentary on some of the movies I watched this week. I hope you enjoyed this. And, you know, maybe you learned something. Again, please share this with your friends, subscribe, leave a review, like it, whatever. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Zachary Markley. Now go watch some movies.